This podcast is sponsored by Smithfield Culinary. Everyone in the industry knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great ready-to-cook to ready-to-eat products with Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired with new recipes created by real working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and menu ideas your guests will savor. Visit Smithfield Culinary or follow Smithfield Culinary on social media. Hey, Holly popping in here to say, have you registered for Create yet? It's our live event where you can rub elbows with other restaurant professionals and learn from some of your peers, no matter if you have 10 units or 10,000. For loyal listeners of this podcast who are restaurant operators, we're excited to announce that you can register for free. That's right, free. That's a $550 value at no charge to you. Just go to create.nrn.com and use the promo code extra serving, one word, at checkout. Hi, and welcome to Extra Serving, a Nation's Restaurant News podcast. I'm your host, Holly Petrie. Today on the pod, we're going to be talking about pizza robots, Wendy's E. coli outbreak, and the new plant-based options at Burger King and Taco Bell. On Takeaway with Sam Okus, Sam spoke with Mark Torres, CEO of Cheba Hut, about the brand's new ghost strategy and its marijuana theme. And be sure to check out First Bite, our daily morning podcast, where I dissect the top news of the day alongside an NRN editor. And now it's time to introduce my co-host. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And I am Leanne Zinsmeister, Managing Editor, NRN. And for everybody wondering where I am, I am currently in Dallas. Uh, so if I sound far away, it's because I am far away. Uh, far away from my home base in New York. <laughs> and we all know that Texas has lousy internet, and so clearly it's affecting your connection. So... I mean, I'm at a conference. I mean, they do um, actually have bad infrastructure. True. <laughs> well, I'm at so a so I'm, I'm at a conference with three thousand other people, so there truly is bad internet. Uh, it is being highly used here, so um, it is quite difficult and to get. What internet. do those three thousand people do? What do those three thousand people do? What's the connective tissue here? Podcasts. I'm at a podcasting conference. It's very exciting. So you guys have a lot of really Nerd fun alert. stuff in store from us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, all kinds of fun changes to come. But yes, they're probably probably all three thousand people are at this very moment, like walking through the conference on their phones like this. Well, there are some really cool podcast booths actually set up that people have been recording podcasts in this whole time. I just couldn't get a spot in one, um, so I'm recording in my hotel room now instead. But. Uh, there are some really cool booths set up here where people are recording podcasts. They've been recording live podcasts this whole time. It's really fascinating. And I've been nerding out the whole time. I'm just so like... many jokes. <laughs> I, I, like, I just feel like there's so many jokes to come out of a podcast. Podcasters at a podcast conference. There's just so much material there. I wish I could be there. It's, it's you know what? We had a lot of fun last night at a party. So it's podcasters can party. It's been fun. Average age at a podcast conference, what is it, probably like 23? No, I'm one of the younger people here. Okay, interesting. Yeah, 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 Millennials yeah. representing. I'm representing millennials here. I, I'm one of the younger people. I'd say it's pretty, it's probably like average age is in the 40s. Hmm. I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. Well, I've been talking to a lot of people about our podcast, and people are very interested in the restaurant industry. It's something I'm learning, and a lot of people have brought up Wendy's E. coli outbreak. 
that is something that people have been bringing up to me every single time that I talk about this podcast. They keep saying, well, have you heard about Wendy's E. coli outbreak? And I'm like, of course I have, but that's kind of a weird thing to bring up when you talk about restaurants. Did you make that up for the segue? I did not. I swear I did not make it up, but I thought that's a perfect, that's why it was on my mind for the uh, outline today was because people have been bringing it up to me all over the place. And it's just so like, it's so top of mind for everybody in just the world, apparently. Just to be clear about this E. coli outbreak, it is confined to three states. So are all of your podcast buddies in Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania? I think it's just the fact that there's another E. coli outbreak and at such a big chain is I think just like startling everybody is I think really what mm. it is, is just yeah. that people are like E. coli's back like a disease or something. Well, we Sam, are- you're in Ohio. Are people, are people not talking about E. coli? <laughs> No, that's why I wonder. I'm just like, I, I'm immersed so in this. Funny. And I, I mean, I haven't had Wendy's in maybe a few weeks. So like maybe not topic of conversation immediately. Like I'm not bringing it up, but I mean, you know, I guess give it time. Um, but yeah, well, I guess Holly, to your point, as far as national headlines and E. coli go, we are seven years removed now from um, uh, Chipotle's E. coli outbreak. And that of course was, national headlines, hundreds of people sickened. So maybe people, it's just fresh for people that they just remember when Chipotle had to go through this. And so now, yeah, it's top of mind maybe, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's relatively confined. And as far as I'm concerned, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's pretty precautionary, right? There's, there's no, is that, I don't think there's evidence yet that it's definitely lettuce at Wendy's. They're just taking it off as a precautionary measure, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, look, nobody likes E. coli. No restaurants like E. coli, that's for sure. You got to do it as precautionary because if 39 or whatever many people have gotten sick so far, if that balloons to, you know, 3,900, you've got problems. Um, Yeah, E. coli is a big deal. You got to take it seriously, and they are. Um, But, you know, poor Wendy's. Doesn't do you any favors when it's Wendy's, E. coli in the headline. And, And who knows? I mean, it just might be just a isolated thing that Wendy's has gotten caught up in. I don't know, but um, good for Wendy's for taking this precautionary step because as a Wendy's fan and as somebody who does not like getting E. coli, I would would appreciate not getting E. coli from Wendy's. Um, I don't know, just a thing. That's a opinion I have, and I'm sticking by it. Such a weird opinion, though, that you don't want to get E. coli. Also, you're saying E. coli weird. I know. E. coli. You're e. saying coli? you're like Ricola. How did I say it? You're saying E. coli. Yeah, you're saying it more like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a pretty serious, I mean, that, I feel like that really emphasizes the importance of E. coli. So that's how I'm going to say it from now on. All right. It definitely emphasizes the importance and does not make it sound like a joke at all. <laughs> Yes, because we wouldn't want eco. We wouldn't want E. coli to sound like a joke. Oh wait, hold on! I have something for you. Oh no! <laughs> oh, sound effects. Holly, this, th- that's the one tip Holly's gotten at podcast conference so far. Add the the drum splash symbol <laughs> sound effect to your podcast. 
Uh, is that what we How sent you to Dallas for? <laughs> yeah. We paid so much money to send you to this thing, Polly, and that's what you come back with? And she's like, no, I've got sound effects. <laughs> Our poor Boy, listeners. I feel like it worked perfectly. I feel like that was a really great moment. You know what? I stick by it. I stand by it. I welcome well, it. Lynn, what were you going to say about E. coli? Are you a fan? Nothing. I was going to make. Yes, yes. I'm E. coli's number one. <laughs> fan not a fan what are your thoughts on e coli <laughs> <laughs> um i'm a, i'm against it i am anti e coli so you also say it like ricola i think you're supposed to emphasize Molly, how do what? you say it e how do you say it e coli 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 it doesn't matter it doesn't matter let's talk about pizza robots <laughs> Okay. Are yeah. You sure, because you keep bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about pizza robots. It's more important. Um, so Joanna Fantosi recently wrote this really great feature on our website. Go and check it out, nrn.com, um, about pizza robots and automation in the pizza industry. Um, so, what do you guys think about this new trend? Of it's not really a new trend. I mean, we've seen automation in the pizza industry for a while, but it's really becoming bigger now than it has been before. Um, so what do you guys think about automation in the pizza industry and pizza robots and and what this means for the future of this segment? Leanne, I'll start with you. Yeah, good call. Um, <laughs> so we've seen automation, I mean, in the pizza industry for sure, but also across the restaurant industry uh, for years now, I'm thinking of like Flippy, the robot that flips burgers. Um, I like that they all have cute names. Um, but yeah, definitely the last year or so, I think pandemic driven, the robots are taking over the pizza industry. Uh, I mean, you know, it's great for pizza companies. It's efficient. Um, in some cases, it can replace some labor expenses. So say what you will about it from the workforce angle. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting, uh, to think about it as a trend and I'm interested to see what will be next. Like what, what will the robots do next? That makes it sound like they're going to become self-aware, um, which is terrifying. <laughs> they, you never know, Sam. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, they, they might yet. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that with pizza, pizza makes the most sense for robots right now, in my opinion, because with some exceptions, Pizza is not a very hospitality oriented business, at least takeout pizza and, you know, pizza um, uh, served off site outside the four walls. Um, because you think about Domino's, Papa John's, I mean, you think about just how much of pizza is consumed as this delivery, takeout, no dine in experience. Outside the delivery driver, you don't have a lot of human interaction. So the biggest argument against robots in restaurants is that it 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 takes out people and so there's a whole labor conversation to be had there of course which is is that the responsible thing to do you're not giving people jobs etc cetera, etc cetera. but more importantly you're taking out the hospitality and if you take out the hospitality then what is your your business right so pizza doesn't have to deal with that as much because already they don't have a lot of human interaction between the brand and the customer. So it just robots make a lot of sense because you can automate it. You, you limit your mistakes. 
you make everything as consistent as possible. Uh, pizza, as far as a build of a pizza, I think it makes a robot. It's it's just easy for a robot to do that. Like that's kind of low hanging fruit. So that makes a lot of sense. Where it gets into you know the question of how much sense does this make? It's when you're getting into other categories of the restaurant industry, and particularly when you have restaurants that do have the human component where you walk up and maybe walk down the line and build your thing or, you know, sit down in the dining room. Like it feels not very human and therefore not very hospitable if robots are doing any part of that. That's funny. That's exactly what I was thinking about was when we were talking about a few weeks ago or last week or however long ago it was, because time is irrelevant apparently. Um, when we were talking about fast casual pizza totally. chains um, and how, you know, a fast casual pizza chain automation may not be the answer for them because customization could be hard for a robot at this stage of development. Um, I mean, I know that we have AI and I know that things have become advanced, but I feel like customization, I feel like a human wouldn't want to, do you talk to the robot? Like, do you, do you program it in ahead of time and watch the robot make it? I mean, that could like, there's all these options of how you can customize things with a robot that I don't know if humans are going to want to watch it. I don't know if that's going to be like, I don't know what that element is going to be yet, but I'm sure that somebody's going to try it. Well, and there's a show factor. I mean, there, some of that can be entertainment and like my kids would love to watch a robot make their food. Right. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Um, and I think of, um, Oh, I'm going to not remember the name of the restaurant in Boston that was acquired by Sweet Green a couple of years ago that was fully like a robotic concept. It starts with an S. It's totally blank. I'm totally blanking. I'm sorry. Spice. Spice with a Y. Well done, Leanne. You you got halfway there, which was more than I was getting. I was more than halfway there, but okay. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, sure. Whatever. Anyway, so... That I remember that was the concept, right? And that you know, again, that was acquired by Sweet Green. I don't really know what's become of it, but um, they were this automated robotic restaurant concept. And I believe the whole idea was you ordered on a kiosk, you punched in your ingredients, and then you watched the robots, you know, put the ingredients into I think a wok, and then you watched it cook on in a wok, um, kind of an idea. And um, it was an exciting concept when it came out uh, because it, it felt like the future. Um, and I still think that's a big part of our future. I mean, when we talk, we, we've talked a lot about sort of the dichotomous paths that the restaurant industry might take from the pandemic era. One path being very convenience oriented and very affordability value oriented. And the other path being very <laughs> hospitality oriented. So you're going to have a lot of QSRs, fast casuals go this direction where they're focused on affordability and convenience. And if you're only focused on affordability and convenience and that hospitality piece is not as important and people only are experiencing you for like, uh, you know, quick food, um, Robots make sense because you're saving money in the long run. Um, you're improving your consistency, your accuracy, your speed. Um, I mean, look at the Defy drive through from Taco Bell, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that's the whole idea is like here is this essentially Taco Bell factory that um, nobody expects. No offense to Taco Bell or its loyal customers. Love the company. Nobody's expecting hospitality necessarily from a Taco Bell, so you can have that kind of experience. Same will go for a lot of QSRs and fast casuals that are just like, let's automate this whole thing because nobody's really coming here for a friendly face. Now, I'm all for friendly faces, and they will. If you have an unexpected friendly <laughs> face, then that can change your day. But I don't think it's your expectation unless you're walking into a Chick Fil A. I knew you were going to bring up Chick Fil A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
We've also got just this week um, a new restaurant in San Francisco called Mesley that's saying it's the first fully automated restaurant. Um, so no human interaction at any step. And at a restaurant like Mesley or at Spice, that's the gimmick. That's why people are going to go is to experience getting your food, whether it's pizza, Mesley is Mediterranean. You just want to see how it's done and if it's done well. Um, so you're not going to a place like that, obviously, for hospitality either. Right. But I wonder what the return customer is like. Like, I wonder if there is a return customer at a place like that, if they have a loyalty to that place or if it's more just a gimmick rather than someplace that develops a loyal customer base. I'm very curious about that. I don't think either, any of us have an right. answer. Um, I'm just curious about if it. If you have delicious food, right? Yeah. I mean, if your food's yeah. delicious, then sure. And if you get it fast... And it's affordable. I mean, if I could guarantee that there's a robotic concept that gets me food in, uh, you know, less than 10 minutes for less than $10 and is delicious, sure. Like, I'm in. Um, it, because uh, for lunch, that I, I don't need the hospitality. I just ate some Chinese food, and I did not have any hospitality, let me tell you. And it was delicious. So I was fine with that. <laughs> And you would go back. I would go back. It was in a food court. I would go back. I may go back tomorrow there, for lunch. There you go. That answers your question. I, All right. I never said I needed hospitality. I'm a New Yorker. I don't need hospitality. You just want your Chinese food. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, moving on to another menu story. Uh, we, we get to talk about some plant-based foods, which I feel like we talk about all the time now, but um, it's a growing trend. Um, so Burger King and Taco Bell both introduced some plant-based options uh, in the past week. Uh, actually, they, uh, Taco Bell introduced it on Friday and Burger King introduced on Monday. Uh, so literally right after each other. Um, so <clears throat> what do you guys think about these new plant-based proteins? So Burger King's is a chicken sandwich, which is interesting yeah, to me. Yeah, I think... Um... Oh, do you want me to talk about Burger King? I was going to jump in on Taco Bell. But... <laughs> you left such a big gap in there for us to jump in. Holly just and then... queued me up, and I'm ready to talk about something totally different. Go for it. Talk about whatever you I'm like. Talk Leah. about Taco Bell. Um, so Taco Bell is introducing a, or testing a proprietary plant-based protein. I think this whole thing is really interesting because Taco Bell... <clears throat> is somewhat famously considered to be a really good fast food chain for vegetarians already because so many, I think almost anything on their menu can be made with beans instead of meat because they have the beans already. And so just like historically, it's been Taco Bell is the place to go if you're vegetarian looking for fast food. Uh, so I'm interested in why they're now adding a non-bean proprietary. It's made from soy and peas. Um, I'm not vegetarian. I try to eat plant-based. Personally, I will tend toward the beans-based items from Taco Bell um, instead of trying a new protein blend. But there must be, I mean, we know there's demand for plant-based protein and Taco Bell must be seeing a demand for 
a specific kind as opposed to just using beans and potatoes as substitutes for everything, which is what I do as well. So that one's a bit of a question mark for me, but I'm curious to see how these tests go. Taco Bell also tests a lot of menu items all the time. They've announced another new menu item test since last Friday. Um, so, but this one does intrigue me and I'm interested to see how it performs and if it rolls out farther. Yeah, Taco Bell has a busy R&D department. I will give them that, um, uh, among other things. By the way, I love Taco Bell. I'm not meaning to get on here and <laughs> bash Taco Bell. I have so much respect for that company. Um, both of these are, are important for two different reasons. I think the Burger King test is important because um, plant-based chicken has not gone mainstream like plant-based beef has. And so, and, and Burger King was one of the first national QSRs to bring uh, the impossible um, uh, option onto menus. And so they're really leading in that. They're the, they're really the first major national QSR to have this plant-based chicken option. Um, I think KFC had sort of a small test of, of plant-based option, plant-based nuggets. Maybe I don't, I don't, I think that was like a, an LTO, but point being is that this feels significant in that to date, the plant-based movement has largely been around burgers, largely been around um, alternatives to beef. You've seen plant-based chicken coming up. Now Burger King's kind of putting it on the map. So I think that's significant. And yes, it'd be interesting to watch um, how how that resonates. But the proprietary, proprietary thing, to Leanne's point, that's even a bigger deal because, to me, because Beyond and Impossible have really controlled the conversation around plant-based burgers to this point, I was skeptical about how big this could be, mostly because if you've got two vendors, two major products that are controlling the conversation, to me it felt like we were limiting the possibilities of flavor. And, it, you know, it just it feels like if, if everybody's using Beyond, which great company and great product, but do we end up with kind of a one-note plant-based product if it's the same one, same thing with Impossible? That was kind of where my head was at, which a lot of arguments for why that's probably not true. But all of that is to say is, like, I think for plant-based to really go the distance, it's got to you've got to have companies coming up with proprietary products because you've got to have a differentiator. You've got to offer something unique. And this is what we're seeing. I mean, the plant-based conversations we've recently had around Heart House, which we talked about last week with Kevin Hart's concept, um, all of the brands in our plant-based showdown, um, they, they are mostly, from what I understand, doing proprietary products because I think you've got to have a really significant uh, differentiator at the core of your, your concept. So for Taco Bell to do that, I think, is, is a big deal. Our plant-based showdown, by the way, is announcing a winner next week. Your last chance to vote uh, for your winner is coming up. So please go on Instagram or LinkedIn and vote between the final two. Uh, we will announce a winner next week. So be ready to vote and let us know who you think should win. Just a little plug there. Nice. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. It's an exciting contest. She's learning so much at that podcast conference. She's <laughs> learning how to plug her own stuff. Good job, Holly. You're growing up so fast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, I mean, what do you guys think? <laughs> Jeez, I was trying to talk and you guys are just laughing over me. Uh, so We're being so earnest. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so it's time for 
Happy news, happy news, happy news. It's time for happy news. Yay! All right, so what's your happy news, everyone? I just wanted to say I'm so glad that my son interrupted me during your happy news song because it was, it could distract me from whatever was happening in my headphones. I think he, he could have liked that song. You should have let dude listen. <laughs> I yeah, I should like have unplugged my headphones and been like, here, dude. These, that these was are the a song designed for three-year-old boys. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he might have been. <laughs> and to be fair, he loves making up his own songs. He sings all the time. So yeah, you guys may be kindred spirits there, Holly. I feel like my song is perfect for three-year-olds. Yeah. So what is what is everybody's happy news? Uh, uh, hmm, I don't know. Happy news. Gosh, it's been not a very happy week. Um, I, not, that, not that it's been a not happy week. It's just not been a happy week. Um, okay, I, last night, ate, uh, our family went out to dinner at a brewery and um, had a food truck kind of experience, which, you know, remember when it was like food trucks and breweries, like that was a thing, that was like a big deal. Um, I don't know, maybe it still is, but like when I had kids, of course it was like my life went away and so I didn't do it as much. Um, but now my, I'm, I'm, we're reclaiming our life now uh, as our kids get older. So anyway, we took the kids to a brewery, ate food at a food truck. That was a happy thing. Um, you got a long yeah, time. That's about all I got. Like I know. I sure do. Uh, I will say I'm, I have happy, happy travels ahead. Next week I'll be in Salt Lake City for Restaurantology. Um, so I guess I'm not going to be on extra serving next week. Sorry, everybody. But um, I will be maybe seeing some of you there in Salt Lake City at Restaurantology. I will be moderating a conversation with the two co-founders of Saigon Hustle there, uh, the two women who founded that concept. If you want to know more about that, I did a podcast with them on Takeaway a few weeks back. Uh, and then just a few weeks after that, we will all be in Denver for Create, and we have lots and lots and lots of good content there. Um, and you probably have already heard in this podcast that we are happy to extend to you free registration as a loyal listener of Extra Serving. Uh, please do come join us because we're all going to hang out. We're going to do some podcasts. It's going to be fun. That's happy news. That is happy news. Sam's not as dedicated as I am. He won't do a podcast at a conference. Uh, oh, you mean like the one you're doing right now? Or, I mean, you're literally supposed to be doing podcasts at the conference that we're hosting and create, you know, like that's your job. I mean, so... don't you want a restaurantology? No, she means when you're in Salt Lake City. Oh, and I, yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's fair. I, if you want to hear my excuse, it's that I don't want to travel with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Gosh, I'll, I'll do it. God. I'll take my microphone. I don't want to. An excuse that we can use because I didn't know that. <laughs> nope. Not not you guys. Only mine. That's Sam's happy news. Sam's happy news is that she just learned she can use that excuse. Great news, guys. I'm just not doing things anymore. You want to use the I don't want to excuse? You got to be the boss. There you go. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, don't forget. We know your boss. So. Fair point. I mean, well, he'll... It's not like this, this uh, is going to be public or anything, this conversation. Not like anybody's going to ever hear this, yeah? Or not on the record at all. <laughs> not in public in two places. Perfect. No, no, no. Perfect. Cool. Good. We may even be using some new streaming Great. platforms well, in the future. So who knows? We may be public in more than two places. So, Leanne, what's your happy news? 
<laughs> just all the dead air that you just got. That was happy news. Um, my happy news also involves a food truck. Uh, I, I, I do think that Sam's thing about how food trucks used to be everywhere is just related to the fact that he started having kids five years ago. Um, because I'm pretty sure food trucks are still everywhere. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm happy for them. In my, I'm happy for in them. In my that's childless great. experience, that's still a thing. Um, I'm glad to hear that. We've got this restaurant here in Brooklyn called Chilos. Um, one of them is around the corner from me. Uh, and at least the one by me, it opened during the pandemic. <clears throat> it's almost entirely outdoors. Um, it's got like an indoor space that fully opens up to outside. And then it's just got picnic tables everywhere. Um, and they serve tacos out of a food truck that is there permanently. It's their food truck. It's just parked there. Um, so you go and get tacos from the food truck and sit at the picnic table and drink spicy margaritas. Um, and I did that last weekend and that was just a wonderful, we had a brief, uh, what? That's not a word. We had a brief. Making up words over here. We had a brief reprieve from the hot weather here in New York. Um, it's over now. It's very hot here. Just so you know, Holly, brace yourself, although you're in Texas, so I'm in air sure you're ready. Um, I'm in freezing air conditioning. But last weekend, last weekend, it was not as hot and it was not humid. Uh, so sitting outside eating tacos and drinking margaritas was the perfect uh, Friday night activity. So that was happy news for me. That sounds nice. Happy it news. is, Sam. Happy news. Happy news. Happy, happy Even though we're ending this segment with me frowning. <laughs> Sam I feel like is that's so a pretty sad. constant face <laughs> that you make. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being here with me today. Uh, I'm going to throw it over to actually you, Sam, and Mark Brando, uh, a conversation that you guys had earlier this week about the top 500. Hey, great. I enjoyed this conversation. Mark, it's awesome. We had a fun time. So thank you guys so much for being here. It was a good one. I watched here. it live. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Bye, Holly. Holly. Have fun at the podcast conference. <laughs> hey, Holly popping in here to say, have you registered for Create yet? It's our live event where you can rub elbows with other restaurant professionals and learn from some of your peers, no matter if you have 10 units or 10,000. For loyal listeners of this podcast who are restaurant operators, we're excited to announce that you can register for free. That's right, free. That's a $550 value at no charge to you. Just go to create.nrn.com and use the promo code extra serving, one word, at checkout. I am once again joined by my friend, Mark Brando, a group manager at Data Central. Mark, welcome back to the program. Hey, Sam. Thanks as always for having me. Of course, and we're going to dig into some of this data. We're going to talk live here on LinkedIn about the data, and we are going to um, welcome any of you who are watching to send in questions. Um, of course, Mark is our resident data expert here, and um, if you've got questions about the data, throw them our way, and we will make sure to answer those questions for you. Uh, before I get going, I did want to, of course, thank our sponsor on the Top 500, Smithfield Culinary. Everyone in the industry knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great ready-to-cook, ready-to-eat products with Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? 
Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired by new recipes created by real working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and menu ideas that your guests will savor. Visit smithfieldculinary.com or follow at smithfieldculinary on social media. Thanks again to Smithfield Culinary for their sponsorship. All right, Mark, well, let's dig into it. Um, this year was, well, quite a bit different than last year. Um, just to revisit for those who um, were living under a rock, uh, there was a global pandemic in 2020 and uh, that had a significant impact on the restaurant industry um, and the sales that we saw last year. Uh, when we kicked off this partnership last year, the numbers you, sh you guys provided uh, digging into that data was um, let's see, depressing, I guess might have been a word, uh, just really illustrating the impact of the pandemic. So this year was different, of course. Um, how would you describe what we saw this year from the top 500 data? Right. So when we're looking at the numbers that were provided to us um, and then estimated as well from 2021, that year was it was a year of recovery for sure. Uh, but what stood out to you know my team and, and the staff at NRN was that this was more of a um, sales and traffic led recovery, we really did not see uh, a, a big resumption of unit growth like we had before the pandemic. And, you know, I think that that makes sense on a couple of different levels, right? Because, um, you know, I, I think that unit growth follows from more certainty about, you know, how consumers are feeling. Uh, you know, you want to wait for some trends to kind of set in before you resume unit growth. So we weren't quite there in 2021. Um, I think that we're all hoping for 2022 to be the year that we go from shoring up unit economics to resuming, you know, system expansion into new markets. Yeah, so it seemed like, um, I mean, it kind of felt like a pendulum swinging back in a lot of ways with some yeah. of the um, results and casual dining, of course, was the one that you almost, I mean, it was, it was almost striking some companies in 2020 were doing like, you know, 35% down and in 2021 were like, 36% up or something. It was kind of interesting to watch, right? Yeah. Um, tell me about the casual dining resurrection. What what should we take from casual dining's performance in 2021 in particular? Okay, so I think the casual dining and, and full service restaurants in particular, I think they really were indicative of the industry as a whole in some of the strategies that were helping folks turn things around from a, from a sales and traffic perspective. So uh, for one thing, there was quite a lot of menu simplification uh, going on in the in the industry that didn't necessarily mean the end of innovation it's just that i think that a lot of brands took the time and the opportunity to um, sort of simplify the menu a little bit and that could be for reasons of you know we wanted to make sure we can handle our brand and if we're doing a virtual brand um, you know you want to kind of uh, uh, smooth things in the kitchen a little bit you also might have uh, fewer kitchen staff to do this with so um, menu simplification made a lot of sense uh, overall industry-wide. We saw in menu trends that um, it was about 10% reduction in menu size through that year. Um, that's obviously going to vary quite a bit from chain to chain, but you know the overall trend was one of um, you know maybe getting rid of some dogs um, and uh, you know maybe calling some parts of the menu. In some cases, you know limiting a day part, but for the most part, it was. Uh, just a matter of simplification. Um, and then another thing too that was really, I think, um, uh, indicative of casual dining, but also for the industry as a whole, is that uh, there was a lot of uh, movement toward off-premise strategies by necessity for survival's sake in 2020. 
2021, I think that a lot of chains got a lot better at that. You know, they sort of figured out uh, best practices and um, you know how to eliminate bottlenecks and hiccups when you're trying to do more off-premise strategies like delivery, takeout, carryout. So while that was getting better, um, dining also started to come back a little bit. You know, in February of 2021, that's kind of when the national rollout of the COVID vaccine, uh, you know, really started taking hold. And so, you know, throughout the, the the spring and summer, traffic did come back, and it really didn't have too much of uh, you know a disruption until the Delta variant um, of COVID, which was that fall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the combination of continued improvement in off-premise strategies, the return of dine-in. Um, many different location. And then while all that was going on, we also had some menu price increases. Again, you know, by necessity. Um, a lot of things uh, were changing in operations. And so uh, menu prices were uh, rising as a result of that. But for the most part, I think a lot of people were managed to keep their menu price increases below general um, inflation and certainly below um, the inflation we saw for food at home. So all of that really redounded to uh, chains benefit, especially in casual dining. I think that those conditions were, um, you know, really advantageous for full service brands. Yeah, digging into that uh, that bit about off premises business in particular, mm-hmm. um, in my conversations with folks, um, having a lot of conversations with people who use my my new favorite industry term, which is sticky that this is sticky. I'm like, I've been doing this for 13 years. I never heard this term until suddenly the things that were sticky out of the pandemic off-premises being primarily the one thing that has stuck around. And, um, you know, that's good news for casual dining brands that to your point, they created off-premises platforms out of necessity. And then lo and behold, people can want to continue to get Texas Roadhouse to go. Um, and and so it's sticky. Uh, another word you might use for it now is incremental, right? It seems like it's it's become like an additional business on top of the dine-in, right? So uh, where I'm going with this, although, is that it does seem like where we've seen restaurants get a lot more efficient. And, and um, to your point, it really seems like, you know, when you slash on the menu, you know, you simplify, as you said, um, but then you add some other elements, omni-channel strategies, and then you also um, use some technology to make all of this a lot more simplified as well. The, it seems like the, the result of all of these things now is that we saw average unit volumes just like, they like took off. But in a lot of instances, I think you mentioned this, but in a lot of instances, unit counts really haven't grown very much, right? So it seems like we're getting more efficient restaurants. Unpack that a little bit across the whole restaurant industry, how it feels like restaurants have uh, emerged almost stronger just from a sense of each individual restaurant and what it is capable of doing. Right. Uh, Stronger, not stickier, right? Not Uh, stickier. (laughs) Right. Well, the thing about uh, off-premise too is that it's not just an incremental sales layer, but in a lot of cases, that's also a way to extend the range of your restaurant too. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that if it's more accessible, you know, via delivery or, uh, you know, new carryout options or faster carryout options, um, then I think that you're in the consideration set even more often if you're a casual dining chain um, for folks that are, you know, sticking close to home or on the go a little bit more. So, you know, I, I think that um, it was also a great source of incremental traffic. Um, you know, and I think that it's going to be, it's going to show up even more. I think um, you guys are already reporting on quite a lot of it where it's going to start influencing, you know, restaurant design even more um, and probably start influencing uh, markets that people are going to target 
for, for growth um, in the future. So yeah, to, to your to your point, I think that um, we had we had heard the term omnichannel before uh, 2021, uh, but you know it was never more relevant or important um, in this past year that we've looked at. Um, and I think that that'll continue uh, going forward in this year. I, I think that what surprised me is that it really did apply to you know a lot of different um, restaurant types that I wouldn't have guessed. Um, you know, I wouldn't have guessed that, um, you know, uh, like a breakfast focus concepts would make such good use of this, but they really did. Um, you know, it's, it's as, as important as getting the packaging, right. You know, um, getting the, the way that you make some of these foods and what foods you decide to innovate onto the menu. Uh, that's also really important, but from everything from breakfast concepts, um, you know, frozen snack concepts <laughs> made really good use of this too. Again, like I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, and now we're seeing more things like um, a lot of coffee chains now. Um, some of them were kind of drive-through native, but now really any coffee-focused chain is looking for um, you know really great uh, drive-through ready real estate, and that's a bigger part of the game now, which I think is is really interesting. Just because I, you know, the the, the priors that I had that were totally um, upended is that I thought that breakfast as a day part was just dead in the water and that right. without commuting, you know, um, everybody from Starbucks to Dunkin' was going to see a real negative impact, but everybody figured out a, out a way, I think, to um, make that whole day part and really kind of any any kind of offering, people have really found out a way um, to, to make this work in the new reality. I mean, even even buffet concepts, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're talking to, um, you know, the, the folks at Golden Corral, I mean, they did a lot of, you know, pivoting to to make this work. Um, not even just a batten down the hatches situation in 2020, but I mean, they really got back to um, some impressive operations and growth in 2021. And learned about a lot that, a lot about themselves in the process, I think, which is so interesting. So you, you kind of mentioned that, um, you know, this idea of um, how off-premises is really even changing uh, these companies' strategies for growth, for example, drive-through. To your point, I mean, what's so fascinating is, of course, we see how popular drive-through became in the midst of the pandemic with companies that were, th you know, throwing things up in their parking lot, um, yeah. or the big chains designing these fancy drive-throughs, which we now have seen. Right? We see Defy from Taco Bell. They've rolled out this prototype. It is a real thing. It's not just a rendering as we were seeing in 2021. So here we go. The future of drive-through is here. But I, you know, there are some. I, to me, there it feels like there are some conflicting things going on because on one hand, you see like Starbucks is really struggling with, um, you know, the dine-in process. The, the uh, you know, they're closing down certain locations in urban areas because of well they have a variety of reasons we won't unpack on this one that's going to be an hour-long call next week with me and mark no just kidding um but but you have you know on one hand it's like the real estate is almost problematic but on the other hand everybody's like give me real estate in the suburbs so that i can build out a drive-through and you know eight different channels by which i'm going to do sales um so i don't know i mean what where's real estate stand at this point i guess is my question for you what do you make of where companies are going to take their growth and real estate decisions it's really interesting uh, because you know you guys you guys have hit on this too, where really urban focused brands are now looking toward the suburbs, and that's it's a really really wide open field for them to spread out in. You know if you if you look at um, you know a, a brand like Sweet Green, which built its name on being that you know uh, very downtown uh, urban urban concept with lines out the door at lunchtime, 
you know, and now uh, a lot of the growth plans are around these really cool suburban prototypes that are, you know, uh, drive-through focused and carry-out focused and um, all made uh, more efficient through their app and, and stuff like that. You know, that that is a sea change that I think is really going to be, you know, sticky. Let's let's uh, let's start a counter of how many times we, we use that word today. That's right. Um, but it's that so it's not just not just sweet green, but I think that the fastest growing segment for a lot of the years, um, 2020 accepted, was this limited service health focused segment. Um, sweet green being, you know, kind of the, the big publicly traded name in there, but um, you know, Smoothie King, Tropical Smoothie Cafe, and a lot of upstarts in the juice segment, um, suddenly they make a lot more sense in a suburban suburban market. Um, you know, and they can go into, you know, tighter spaces because their menu is so, you know, focused and, um, you know, easily executable. So, you know, it's going to be a really exciting segment to keep watching, um, not just because of suburban growth. Eventually, when we figure out, you know, kind of new commuting patterns and, you know, the wider return to office movement, I don't know, I don't know how, how you know, you guys are doing it because you're so distributed like we are, um, but eventually that shakes out, right? Uh, yeah, and yeah. so that I think is going to be a net positive for um, a lot of brands that are trying to move not just into the suburbs, but then also into kind of the new urban central business district, whatever that ends up looking like. Yeah, I mean, it has to be cyclical, right? All this stuff will be cyclical. Um, the yeah, the, we've been the remote work. Right? Yeah, we've been doing as long. We've seen these trends. I mean, the remote work trend in particular, you know, on one hand, probably overblown in terms of it's a lot of the major cities on the coast that are seeing a big trend in remote work, right? And, um, you know, at, at the same time, it's there. They have seen a lot of folks, you know, flee the cities, go for cheaper real estate. At a certain point, a lot of people are going to realize, oh, well, that real estate's is accessible now and younger generations always want to move in right so anyway all it is to say is who knows what these trends the stickiness of these trends who knows whether they stay remain sticky for long term or not anyway i'll stop saying that word um the top 10 let's talk about some of the top 10 movers and shakers right movers and shakers generally but let's start with the top 10 because i thought it was interesting chipotle is in the top 10 now um which you know only matters probably to data wonks like you and i but um it's fascinating to see it's like that that slow climb right they they made it into the top 10. you see subway is uh perilously falling i would say um as compared to its peers in the major qsr space mcdonald's did very well starbucks did very well of course chick-fil-a outperforms just about everybody on the planet tell me about the top 10 in your opinion uh, so, and let me just wait one second because my garage door is closing. And okay, so, so it's 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 school oh, it right now. So oh, okay, uh, we just got one kid home, and we're gonna pick up the other kid right now. Uh, so yeah, in in the top ten, um, you know, Chipotle landing on the top ten was kind of a long time coming. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and so it finally happened last year, and kind of um, you know, Subway struggles again. This has been a trend for a couple of years. And really, I think what might have accelerated that um, last year is that they still um, they still were one of the brands that had the most movement in terms of unit count, just unfortunately to the negative side. Um, but then, you know, there are going to be lots of really interesting things to, to look at, um, you know, not just last year, but going into this next year where um, in some pretty major, uh, major segments, there's going to be, you know, even further movement, I think. So, um, I would think that, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A 
has a little ways to go before it can threaten the number two spot for sales, but it is definitely number three with a bullet um, and is going to be for, for a while. Um, we're looking in terms of unit counts. Uh, there's going to be probably some shift where pretty, pretty possible that Domino's might overtake Pizza Hut um, in, in pizza, which is really interesting. You still have four pizza chains that are, um, you know, certainly already very, very big or growing fast off a of big base, you know, not just pizza Domino's, but then also uh, Marco's and Little Caesars. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those last two have just had years of momentum, it seems. Um, you know, and then otherwise, you know, McDonald's, it was good to see McDonald's have, um, you know, a very successful sales and traffic year. Um, you know, they are still kind of right-sizing their system by, by unit count a little bit, but I think that they largely, you know, have that pretty, pretty well under control. Um, there aren't um, too many chains that, among that top 10, that I worry about in terms of unit growth, um, you know, other than Subway and Pizza Hut. And, you know, I, I sort of wonder if they're kind of coming in for a bit of a soft landing here over the next couple of, of, of years. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a lot of, um, you know, unit rationalization uh, left to happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we're just kind of, we're sort of looking, we're looking within segments at a lot of different uh, dynamics too. You know, the, the salad helpful limited service segment, it's a very small one, but it's been the fastest growing for a long time. And you have two very, very large um, chains there that kind of go back and forth. It's it's a Smoothie King and Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Mm. Um, you know, there are, I, I'm keeping an eye on limited service uh, Asian. You know, that's one where, um, you know, Panda Express is by far the biggest chain in that segment, uh, but its growth doesn't seem to be at the expense of any other competitor. They actually kind of build the category. And so yeah. there are really fun things to, to look at within that category kind of on the come up. Um, you know, I'm thinking of things like uh, uh, BB Bop is one that mm-hmm. I keep my eye on. Yeah, yeah. What fuels that? I mean, when you look at um, some some rising stars, if you will, on the top 500, these brands that represent categories that aren't so prominent or, or more up and coming. What is fueling that growth? Is it purely younger people, more adventurous palettes, which is what we always kind of said before? Is it off-premises and these new digital tools opening the eyes of more customers? What do you think is behind those brands that are really picking up momentum? Well, the ones that kind of come to mind, they they do all of those things relatively well, and in some cases, they really exceed. Uh, they really excel, I should say. Um, what it comes back to for me, Sam, is that I think that if I, so if I were a potential franchisee and I'm looking to invest in a growth vehicle that I think has, you know, a lot of really great runway over the next decade, you know, not just for consumer interest, but then also, it, you know, it fits in certain markets and certain real estate and, um, you know, has very defendable territory, all of that, I really would still be looking at brands that have uh, kind of a focused menu. Um, you know, it's it's not that there aren't casual dining chains or, you know, some of the um, quick service burger chains that have wide expansive menus, but the ones that really kind of come stick out to me would be, you know, I would love to be able to, you know, get into like a Raising Cane's, right? Mm-hmm. That is a very focused menu that they, you know, just are amazing at operations. Um, you know, they, uh, they fit trends for off-premise really, really well, things like that. Um, I think a lot of the smoothie and juice chains, again, they, it's, it's could be a single panel of a menu board, um, but uh, very, very appealing. They fit trends toward healthfulness. They appeal to younger demographics and they fit 
in urban and suburban real estate. I think I mentioned before that a lot of the coffee chains, um, so many of them now are, they're building new stores that are, you know, drive through from, from the beginning. Some of them are just like sort of drive through native. I mean, I, I think about like, um, you know, Dutch Brothers kind of, that's what they, what they built their brand on before going public. Um, and it, it just sort of makes sense in a lot of different ways. Uh, crumble cookies, again, like they have, you know, a small number of core, you know, cookies. They have a small number of, you know, rotating offerings as well. But at the, at the end of the day, it is very, you know, limited equipment, limited recipes, and then sort of endless marketing, right? Um, yeah. Endless ways to kind of get in front of customers and build excitement. Um, you know, and I feel that way too about like a, like a Velvet Taco. Because uh, again, you know, small, relatively focused uh, core menu, and then they've got the rotating weekly taco feature. So it really just constantly drives their their marketing, um, which is kind of the, the name of the game in, uh, you know, an environment right now where unit growth is still kind of in a wait and see mode. It's about driving traffic. And so um, there are brands out there that drive traffic with a limited menu. And I yep. think that that's kind of a really great sweet spot to be in. You mentioned crumble cookies. I mean, we just have to just talk about them for park it there for a second because uh, yeah. over 500 locations in four years. Um, just, I mean, I guess proof that when you own a category, it's like how quickly can you suck up the white space and just put one everywhere? And they're they're finding out. It's it's really remarkable. I, I'm just gonna throw this out there. This is just me thinking out out loud, but I'm curious to know what you think about this because I agree with you that focus menu, that simplicity really is helping a lot of brands. Another one I think of is chicken salad chick. I had my first chicken salad chick recently. And I'm, yeah. you know, before I'm just like, how do you how do you get a whole restaurant at a chicken salad? Well, I found out, you know, I go yeah. there and I'm like, well, yeah, this does make a lot of sense actually. Sure. Um, but does that at all, is that at all counter to this concept of a one-stop shop? Cause isn't having a lot of these um, third-party marketplaces really work? Cause you only want to go to one spot for all your needs and if, I want a burger, my wife wants a salad, if my kids want chicken nuggets or macaroni and cheese, well, I got to go to four different restaurants to figure that out, right? So is there any kind of um, friction between those two ideas or am I overthinking this? Well, you know, it's, you're, you're not overthinking it because it's a great question because I mean, look at how well the Cheesecake Factory is still doing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that their sales growth was more than 40%. Um, yeah. I don't, I can't remember if they opened too many new units. I don't think they did. Uh, it was just, you know, through that small novel of a menu that they have, um, where there's virtually no veto vote. There's so much attachment of desserts and beverages and appetizers. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it, it's I, I certainly wouldn't um, I certainly wouldn't advise anybody against investing in a concept like that. Um, you know, but I, I think that, and maybe it's just because I like to read NRN so much and. You know, so much of the um, so much of the kind of news and excitement is around these often franchised, you know, fast growing brands that are moving into kind of they're trying to create new categories, essentially new kind of micro categories. Like there is now a chicken salad restaurant category because of the success of chicken salad chick. Um, and I think that we could we could see that for dozens of, you know, dozens of, um, you know, different niches of the menu. I mean, um, there's going to be, you know, some sort of, even within fast casual chicken, right? Um, you look at some really great fast growing brands, you've got uh, BB.Q, which is, um, you know, 
it's like banchan uh, also growing you know kind of this korean style fried chicken um you know uh there were a million virtual brands selling chicken wings um yeah. and just wreaking havoc on the commodity price of it didn't bother Wingstop one bit <laughs> yeah. right yeah um so i yeah, it's hard to narrow down just what what one thing is kind of um, setting these brands up for the growth growth the best. Um, we certainly like to take a look at a lot of the limited menu uh, kinds of concepts because they're they're fun, they're interesting, and yet obviously don't sleep on you know Cheesecake Factory or any other you know casual dining chain that's done well. Yeah, you mentioned wings and you talked about pizza before too. And of course, pizza and wings were two categories that last year just were exploding because of the off premiseness, if you will, of them. Um, And uh, they kind of came back down to earth right now. That could be expected because you're not going to grow on top of 35% growth in 2020 as they were doing. But I think it's really interesting now. Not only did they come back to earth, but actually you're seeing some you're starting to see a little bit of um, some struggles from some of these chains. I mean, thinking about Papa John's recently, you know, announcing um, their results from a recent quarter. And and it, it's it's not just, oh, we came back down from our pandemic highs. It's like, oh, wow, like we're actually starting to hit some bumps in the road. Tell me about how some of these economic factors, inflation, supply chain, being chief among them, of course, with your menu prices, as you mentioned, how are these things starting to affect all these chains? And, and how do you anticipate that playing out when we take a look at 2022 results? Well, Sam, you got two out of three, right? Uh, it's, a, it's, a three-headed, it's a three-headed monster right now. And you said supply chain and you said inflation. The one that you uh, forgot just now was labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like labor is, that's one that is really kind of showing up in, in, uh, in, in certainly in pizza, right? Um, there are national pizza brands that um, I think have even more potential for growth, but for the problem that they're having with labor, um, not just people working in the kitchen, but then also delivery drivers. Um, and so if you are having a hard time uh, fulfilling your delivery in-house and you start working with a third party, uh, you know, players like DoorDash and Uber Eats, um, you know, that's, that's well and good. You, you fulfill orders, but that's a hit to your margins, right? Um, yeah. You know, you, and you look at a you look at a, a brand like Portillo's, um, again, incredibly, insanely high volume restaurant with a very expansive menu for a quick service brand. Um, and the way that they're kind of approaching delivery is, you know, they try to do they try to do a hybrid model, right? They try to fill their biggest, uh, most profitable, and advantageous for the driver orders in house, um, and then for kind of the overflow and the excess, they they'll farm that out to the third party uh, delivery people. And I think that that's a really smart approach. And I think that's probably um, one way that they still just have such a such a great, highly efficient and, you know, their throughput in that drive-through is still insane. You know, I every Portillo's around here and there are a lot, I'm, I'm in the Chicago suburbs, um, you know, they're all like double drive-throughs, just cranking them out. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. then, you know, you see folks in like the red DoorDash masks going inside, picking up orders and um, it's, it's clockwork. Right. Uh, so I, I think that that's a, that's a really, a really important thing to address is going to be the labor part of things, um, especially yeah. for one that is so dependent on off-premise like pizza would be. And, you know, uh, when you say wings, you know, Wingstop is to me, you know, the best example of this kind of brand and they too get so much of their sales from digital 
whether delivered or folks carrying out. Uh, so that's gonna be kind of a limiting factor, right? Uh, inflation yeah. sure has, inflation has lots of effects on consumers in terms of, you know, uh, whether they decide to eat out at all or it causes a lot of trade down. So inflation is definitely, that's definitely still a threat too. Um, and then the supply chain piece, I think is one that, you know, it, it certainly depends from restaurant to restaurant, but that is one that I think um, we're starting to see in our operator surveys that, um, you know, the, the supply of ingredients is stabilizing, the cost is what's still, uh, you know, yeah. rising. And so that'll, that'll probably, you know, um, beget more menu price increases. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's actually, as much as they've risen, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the public companies at least still acknowledge that they still have room to go in terms mm -hmm. of price increases that they can take, and still be below um, grocery inflation and below competitive set. What do you make of 2022 so far? I mean, we're eight months in now. Um, of course, we never did get to those roaring 20s everybody talked about two years ago. Maybe we never yeah. will. I don't know because apparently we're heading right into a recession. Uh, but I have to imagine that 2022 will show signs of continued growth for the industry. But if you're looking at the numbers right now, looking at just anecdotally what some companies have been have got going on, what's your what's your hunch for where 2022 lands? So this is something that I thought differently um, before we took a, a more recent look at, at the data. So my my hunch going into 2022 is that okay, 2021 we had such a good improvement on unit economics. Um, we saw, you know, benefits and growth in uh, AUVs and total sales, even without a lot of unit growth. So I thought, okay, mm -hmm. what a great, what a great base of strength to build on, and get back to unit growth. Um, but now I am, I'm not so sure, and we really have to wait and see when we get our our data for this year, um, you know, next first quarter, because, um, well, so for for one thing, uh, labor is such a headwind. Uh, for so many of of these brands, and then uh, I'll just tell you that we took a we took a kind of a brand new look at um, at location based data um, through this year, because somebody else had asked us about um, you know failure rates of restaurants because mm -hmm. they were like okay um, how badly did things you know fail more than usual you know the the and they defined that as uh, okay a restaurant opened how many of them closed within a year of opening you know sort of. What's, what's sort of a baseline for the industry? How did that look in the pandemic? How does it look now? Uh, so 2019, that rate of kind of closing within the first year, all restaurants in the country was about 5%. Okay. And then, so we looked at, okay, so how was it in 2020? Um, and that, that failure rate was actually, it was actually lower. It actually fell from 5% to 4%, but hmm. reason being was that fewer restaurants opened. Uh, oh, yeah, right. So the effect that that, that, that had, uh, that the pandemic had was just that people canceled plans or delayed plans to open a new restaurant to figure out what the heck was going on. Yeah. So that figured, so you know, down to 4%. So we looked at year to date. Um, so everything that opened in the in 2021 up through the end of July, because we're looking at a trailing 12 months, you mm -hmm. know, to sort of see how, what the rates were. And the failure rate rose to 12%. So the failure rate, is is way way back up you know exceeding normal levels um and to me my initial guess at why that is is because of this three-headed monster of inflation labor shortage um you know supply chain disruption 
Um, when, it, when it came to the pandemic, it was all just like, ah, my traffic's gonna fall off a cliff. What do I do? Sort of figure that out. But now it's just this kind of, you know, I, I hesitate to use too dumb of a word, but like polycrisis, metacrisis, whatever you call it, we've got these three things that reinforce each other negatively. It's hard to, you know, fix just one without the other two still delaying your progress. And so I don't, I don't know what that's going to do to, to unit counts. I imagine that, you know, some, some of these brands that had a really, really good 2021 will probably carry that momentum through to 2022. You know, others that are sort of holding tight and kind of um, fixing their unit, unit economics and, and getting more efficient, maybe they'll grow, maybe they'll wait even further. And then there will be, I think, still some failure rates because, um, you know, people were optimistic at the you know, end of 2021 and finally put plans through. Um, takes a while for that stuff to get built, permitted, open. And then they opened into, you know, the highest gas prices in a decade, the worst inflation since the 70s. Um, you know, and then labor is shaking out because we've never had a pandemic that changed going to work on a, such a fundamental level. Right. So, I, you know, I, I wish I had a better answer than just sort of a cop out of we have to wait and see, but we really <laughs> have to wait and see because the data that we have so far for, you know, kind of um, 2021 into this year from a unit count perspective is um, it's, it's a little, it's a little worrisome. It's, it's causing, you know, it's causing trouble staying open. I just had to wonder if all of this leads to more simplicity, going back to what we were talking about earlier, because if you think about it, I mean, well, not that this is some cheap endeavor to do, but you think about if you get look to more automation technology to replace for labor, uh, then you simplify your menu to limit the number of SKUs that you have to source and thus kind of eliminate some of those supply chain challenges. Yep. Um, and if you do focus on simplicity and you can widen your margins, then you don't have to take the price hikes like you are right now. I don't know, maybe just just wondering if like this is all a case for more simplicity in the industry because you have to really protect those margins at all costs, which ultimately is what's affected by this three-headed monster you're talking about. Well, wouldn't you rather wouldn't you rather have kind of the um the solution be simplicity than what the solution widely across the industry no matter what restaurant you were in 2008 and 2009? It was all just a huge pivot to value, right? Mm -hmm. Which got the job done, but you know, I think it definitely, um, you know, set the industry back a little bit in terms of, you know, how you could innovate your menu and you know what you could charge uh, to protect your margins. We we sort of, as an industry, got stuck in a very very low cost, low price point um, strategy across the industry for a while after that last, you know, bad recession and financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in response to this pandemic and then, and then, you know, the trailing effects of the pandemic, um, a lot of operators have been saying in surveys that we've been asking, they, a lot of them are saying that, you know, this year and the after effects of the pandemic are worse than the pandemic, you know, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of their operations and, you know, right. finding people and, and uh, finding the right way to market to customers. Uh, so, you know, all that to say, I, I guess that if it, if we did focus on convenience, um, like that more than just purely focusing on, on low cost, I, 
I feel like that's probably still better for the health of the industry as we recover from these, you know, two and a half, three years. Yeah, good point. And and much to watch as we go into a recession, because we all know that recessions love value or value tends to reign in recession. So we're going to have to do another check in uh, early next year or whenever we're in the thick of that recession and find out uh, what the result was. But Mark Brando, as always, thank you for joining today. Uh, this was a lovely conversation. And to all those watching, if you're watching this after it was live, feel free to message us on LinkedIn, DM us if you do have any questions. Um, our emails are probably very easy to find online too, if you Google us. So, um, yep. we are here for you once again, thank you to Smithfield culinary, uh, our sponsor on the top 500. Oh, and finally, most importantly to follow up on the top 500, go to nrn.com slash 2022 top 500, all one word nrn.com slash 2022 top 500. You can get all the information Mark and I were talking about all the charts, the data, all the good stuff. Uh, yeah, thanks again for participating. Mark, thanks again, and we'll talk again soon. See you and everybody at Create. That's right. Nice. Yes, come to Create. <laughs>